Welcome to All Road 65 Max Radio, where the road ahead gets brighter as we journey toward truth, traveling through our dreams and inspiration into a new reality. It's time, and your ticket is waiting. All aboard All Roads Lead 65 Max with Pamela Henderson. Greetings. Thank you for joining me on BBS Radio, All Row 65 Max. I am your host, Pamela L. Henderson. My focus is my mission statement to help create a quality of life through social growth, inspiring Jews to become leaders by establishing partnerships with corporations, donors, sponsors, nonprofits, volunteers, the community, and abroad. Join me every other Tuesday at noon at BBS Radio, All Road 65 Max Radio. My special guest today is Arthur Eileen St. Laurent, who met the legendary Ray Charles some 23 years ago, never expecting that she would one day go blind herself. Now, the iconic singer's presence is felt in St. Lorenz's new book, Good Life Mississippi, an immersed story that plunges readers into the sights, sounds, and social constructs of the 1950s and 60s segregated in the Deep South. At last, thank you for this interview chance, Eileen, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Pamela Henderson, for having me. <laughs> you are so, you are so welcome. So I am going. It's so juicy, and I'm so inspired by you. I must say that first. But tell me, Eileen, you have met the legendary Ray Charles. So exciting! Tell me about that experience. I did some 23 and a half years ago. I was uh, a um, graduate student, undergrad at University of Nebraska in Lincoln, and um, he came there, and I entered a writing contest. And I actually won and uh, scribbled something down and I, I, why I wanted to meet him. And wow. uh, he like, they picked me and I won and he came and I talked to him and I turned that whole experience, Pamela, into a novel. Wow. That's great. Yeah. That is inspiring, I must say. Absolutely. You grew up in. Hattiesburg and was raised in what is that Patel Patel pedal, like, yeah like pedal on the road the road pedal pedal and and you became an award winning uh, photojournalist and news writer in your early career tell me about that yes I went back to school after working for eleven years and um, I failed my physical to be a police officer. And uh, I went back to a junior college and I started writing, which I'd always wanted to do. And everything I wrote, um, the first thing I wrote won the award. The second thing I wrote won the next award and so on. And they said, what else do you have? And I said, I don't have anything else. They said, keep <laughs> writing, keep writing. And in fact, I was so raw and so real and new and fresh that um, I wasn't even invited to the ceremony. And um, I won two, two of the four 
categories in uh, the state of Mississippi for press university um, press writing. I forgot what it's AP, AP, it's AP, you know. And um, then I just either realized that, you know, I knew I could write since I was four years old and I always had written. And so when I, I went to college, it showed me that I could I could do it because I read other people's work. And I realized that, hey, you know, I can do that. I just didn't know how to do it. And even when I worked in the real world outside of college, every report I had ever written, they would call me and say, did you write this? I said, yeah. And they say, oh, my goodness, you should publish this report, you know. And I said, really? They said, yeah, it reads just like a story. And so I, I was flabbergasted and um, very surprised. And, and I had a little roommate that they gave me to take care of. She didn't speak any English. And I thought she did because I just thought she did. Don't ask me why. I don't know she didn't speak enough English. But I would read her all my stories. Her name was Nian. And I'd say, what do you think? And she said, oh, very good. <laughs> you know? I said, Really? She said, yeah, very, very good. So I would turn it in and get a, get an A or a write. And then I found out later, I said, man, why didn't you tell me you don't speak English? She goes, well, it's still very good to me. <laughs> you know, wow. so I helped her and she helped me because I didn't believe in myself. And she didn't have to find herself. She was um, from Vietnam and um, she had to find herself in her voice. And I found myself in my voice there at the same time. And what a match, huh? Wow. Isn't that ironic when you kind of doubt yourself and someone else can see (laughs) the greater good in you and they can also see the spotlight? (laughs) But us, it's a little hesitant. And sometimes it could be like, oh, okay. well, you know, I didn't look at it that way. So tell me, Eileen, what... How do you know that you can become a journalist? Is it just from the writing skills or what type of passion does it take? Um, For me, it's like washing my hands under cool water. I um, listen, I tell the truth, and it works. And 90% of it comes out edited except for commas, run-ons, and semicolons. It's a gift. I personally believe that you are born to do certain things and it's a calling. And I was never able to answer my calling because, Pamela, I didn't have any confidence in myself. No. Coming from the, no, none, zero, zip, none. Even if people tell me I was pretty, I didn't, I didn't believe it. It went in one ear and out the other. And teachers would call my mama when I was young and like in the ninth grade and say, did your daughter write this? <laughs> and um, she'd say, as far as I know, you know, she'd say, Eileen, yeah. did you write this? And I'd say, yeah. And they were all just so surprised, you know, but, but nobody extended a hand to help me. So when I went to school and I worked in TV, radio, and film, it mm-hmm. just I just fell into my place, you know. And then when I went to university, uh, in, in Nebraska, I fell into a really big place because there was like 25, 22, 25,000 people there. And, um, I, I was taking journalism and he called me in one day and he said, sit down. And so I did and I sat down and he said, I want to tell you something, but don't you tell anybody I ever told you this. 
you have a talent. I said, really? He said, you have talent. I said, oh, thank you so much. He said, but you have to leave journalism. You belong in English. So get out. <laughs> you know, he kicked me out of the journalism major. And I just right. burst out crying, crying, you know. And I went back to English and they said, what's wrong with you? I said, I have a talent. I have talent. And they said, oh, my goodness, let's come in. And I said, I can't be a journalist. I have to be a writer. And so that's how it all kind of evolved into finding out what I really could do in my calling and taking, you know, from one step to the other. I failed a lot, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading about who you are. And like I said, I am very inspired. But, you know, I want to touch a little bit about this subject, which is really, really intriguing, especially when someone else has gone through some issues and challenges. Tell me about the battles, having complex feelings, as you stated, of guilt, loss and segregation when you were 12 years old. Yes, I can do that. I had a friend, uh, well, I was like in around the fourth grade. I think it was 10, 11, 12, you know, those years. And they jerked us all out of public school, made us stay home. Then they put us on buses and they sent us to the churches, all the white kids to go to school. Mm-hmm. And um, then, then they would let some of the African-American, which they called them just black children then, to uh, come in with us in the room, in the church. Now, we're in a church, okay, in the deep south. And so there was a girl that sat in front of me. Her name was Patricia. And she fell asleep. And the teacher come by, and she hit her. She didn't just, like, tap her. She just whopped her on the back. And Patricia didn't say a word. And I, But I saw a tear going out of one of her eyes. I think it was her left eye. Broke my heart to pieces. That was the compassion I was talking about. Because I thought, you know, Patricia can't help it. She's tired. She fell asleep. She didn't have to hit her like that, you know. And she said, you don't, you know, she said some things to her. I don't really remember what she said, but Patricia never flinched. She never talked back. She never said a word. And in my heart, I knew that was wrong, you know, because that's how I was raised to believe red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in the sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Well, right. I don't know if you know this, but when I did the research for my book with that song, that many people have taken out the word brown. And that's why they don't include it. I included it in the book. So that's how I experienced. And I, I'm still friends with Patricia. I hear from her once in a while. She found me after like 40 years. Okay. I'm on, wow. date on Facebook. And she said, I always wonder what happened to you. You were so nice to me. Why were you <laughs> nice to me? And I never, never forgot you. I never forgot you. And, you know, I think you're born with compassion. I've battled in my own mind if you can learn compassion. Right. I don't know if you can because I have it. Even no matter what, I have it. You know, it's just ingrained in me. Yes. You know? And that was some of it. And the, the a part about loss, I've lost um, almost every friend I've ever had that passed. And, and that's included in the last 10 years, in the last five years, and three and two and one from COVID and so on and so forth. And so it's just become a, a thing in my life. You know, I've got to tell people, you probably don't want to be my friend, you know, because <laughs> they, they always, something happens, no matter what and no matter what age. 
And so I experienced that loss and that it's a hard loss because, you know, you become friends with somebody. And what I ended up doing, um, Patricia is when I wrote my work, my characters became my friends and family. And so I try to take care of them, even though some of them have to die. You know, you know, I figured it out now that death is life and life is death. It is a circle. It evolves, you know, into one to the other. So you just can't help those things. Yeah. And so I just focused on them and I took care of them. And my books are, to my, to me, like my children. You know, I care about them and, you know, so on and so forth. I can't make you like them, <laughs> you know, anybody <laughs> like them. But, but if I'd have had this book when I was, at those ages, I, my life would have been different, I believe, because unknowingly and a little bit of knowingly, but subconsciously with my imagination, I think everything is covered in this book that a young person would need to be inspired, as you say, and to build self-esteem. Because when I was growing up, some people had it, some people didn't. Um, I was one of those who just didn't have it. And I still struggle with it now. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> Even when I met Ray Charles, my favorite part of meeting Ray Charles was if you look in the back of the book, I'm going to give this away, look in the very back of the book on the page before the study guide and look at the hands that are holding. That's my hand and Ray Charles' hands because you see a picture of us. And that was my favorite part of meeting him. He was very humble because I read him and of course, before I read it, his bodyguard, which was his nephew, read him uh, what I had written. And he said, she wrote that about me. He was so surprised. And it's exactly what I put in the novel in the chapter called Paradise, when Myra Boone meets him. And um, so uh, my favorite part is when people come together and hold hands and inspire each other. They may not sing Kumbaya or, you know all that you know we are the world which is all good all that's good but just you know to try to to understand that people have differences and different perceptions and don't look at the color of people's skin look at their heart look beyond that because um i believe god is not a color he's a light yeah and people have light that is so true we are all in this salad bowl, just <laughs> mixed around, and we're going to have disagreements, and our beliefs are different, but we have to learn how to respect each other's values and morals. That is the main concern, especially here in the United States. That's totally important. So... Eileen, your dream, and I'm going to get back to this again, of okay. meeting your daddy's friend, the legendary Ray Charles Robinson, you stated was a natural sense of place of your true calling. Tell me about that. Well, everything I write about Ray Charles Robinson is true from being down the St. Augustine, uh, Florida. I've been saying Georgia, but it's Florida. Um, home for boys, learning how to weave baskets. And that's how he learned to correlate music in his head. And if somebody is blind and totally blind, because I had my sight for years and years and years until I was in my 40s. And I, I didn't think a thing about it until I lost it. 
And if somebody's totally blind, you have you you get this strong sense of everything else around you. And um, I don't know how to explain it. I just know that it was inspiring to me to meet someone that everybody mistreated because they mistreated him. I don't know if you know that if you've ever seen the movie Ray after he passed. Yeah, but they I did guess. mistreat him. They took his money. They they mistreated him. And, you know, um, he came out and everybody says he, he was a genius. He was very humble when I met him. He did not have an attitude. He did not have an air about him of superiority or anything. He was very frail. He was very... He needed help, you know, he needed guidance, but he had his talent, see. Your talent doesn't lose you, leave you. Your voice doesn't leave you either if you have the voice. I was always concerned for the last 20 years I wasn't able to use my voice. I had nowhere to put it, nowhere to use it. And I was concerned, and I would say, please, God, don't let me lose my voice. And I didn't lose my voice. I didn't lose my talent. And even though I lost my sight, I regained partial sight, I still had my gift. So everybody's born with a gift, and when my dream to make it come true, I guess, that helped me answer my true calling because when I wrote what I wrote, I prayed over it. I said, God, if it's your will for this to happen, let this happen, and boom, it happened, you know? And um, that's my kind of best answer of, of giving you that. I remember my husband called me. I was at work. I used to work security. He said, Somebody just knocked the door, Eileen, and said they were from Ray Charles's people and gave me something, an envelope to give to you. <laughs> he said, what'd you do with, what'd you do this time, you know? And I said, really? And to me, that was God's answer to my prayer. Just like this book is an answer to prayer. And I believe it's timeless. It can go on. If anybody's going to read a book, especially a young person that's having trouble in the world's really different, but it's still the same. In the 50s and 60s, it's just more people. Yeah. It will help them. It's not easy to have compassion, forgiveness, and love, and and unconditional love. It's not easy. It's and not. sometimes people, maybe they really wouldn't like you if you weren't successful, you know what I mean, or a star. Yeah. But those people, everybody's just like you and me. They all go home and do the same thing. They're all alone when they get home with themselves. Trust me, you're alone with yourself when you get home. I do. I'm a firm believer in that. Okay. You can take that hat off, that wig and <laughs> all that makeup and you are who? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Reading your story was very inspiring, Eileen, from your parents enduring the prejudice of being born biracial. Tell me about that. Well, Myra Boone, the main character's parents, Marigold and Virgil Boone. Um, Virgil was born deaf and dumb, and they put him in a home for boys. That's how he met Ray Charles, and poor Virgil was deaf and dumb, and he drove, but he could sign, and he could read lips, and he could sort of hear the music. You know what I mean? He had this little right. sense of music. So he would drive Ray Charles around him. <laughs> and so one was deaf and dumb and one was blind. So you can imagine that picture in your mind. And so Ray Charles went on off to Hollywood and he made it out of the area, out of, you know, Florida. And 
Virgil didn't. He made it on the road to nowhere. He just ran moonshine and did window washing. And um, he met Marigold, which she came from a good family. And after he was always considered questionably biracial, that he had some drops of Negro blood in him. It was never proven, but that's what they said. And so the main character, Myers, always, her mother didn't let her go to school. She had to read the Bible, copied books from the Bible. And that's how she learned the rhythms of reading and writing. And her mother had been a Sunday school teacher over in Good Life from a prominent good family that raised hogs, cantaloupe, and watermelons. And when she married Virgil Boone, they never spoke to her again. And they moved off to Meridian, Mississippi, which everybody knows something about Meridian one way or the other. And it really didn't make any difference other than that they were socially isolated in the Piney Woods. And poor Myra, uh, who was born on Christmas Day, her birthday's coming up, and next <laughs> Sunday in 1950. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah. Happy and, birthday. Um, <laughs> thank you. And um, <laughs> um, so she was born, and so her mother latched onto her like a snapping turtle, and, and like she said, she was her hope and her baby Jesus, you know. Right. Myra actually means prophet, which I didn't know that until I, I wrote that. I didn't realize that. That's not, I didn't do that on purpose. And okay. so she is the voice of the people, the downtrodden, the low people, and you know, people whispered and said bad things and made fun of them. And without giving away too much of the book, she ends up losing her family and she ends up back in good life with these hundred people. And with her elderly grandparents, who she's never met, who's never spoken to her, and boom, she's thrust in the middle of them and she starts the first grade at 12 and a half years old. Wow. Yeah, put her in the first grade. And she, her dream had been to go to the first grade and, and she finds out that's not what I, I, I had thought it was going to be. <laughs> right. They made fun of her and beat her up and first one thing and another. And, um, so her and her mama, getting back to her mama, I'm sorry, uh, would ride in the car, uh, old Ford and listen to Ray Charles on the radio. Her daddy couldn't hear him, but he could feel the beat of the music. He knew it was Ray. And he always tried to talk about Ray, and he stutters. He talks in the book. You know, he talks like 30, 40 pages in the book. He just... And they read his... And he calls Mirabeau. And so... And my loves him, no matter what, right? She loves her daddy, and he is a um he is drunk. He runs moonshine in a truck called the Rainbow, painted like the rainbow. So there he goes riding the road, talking about Ray Charles, listening to him on the radio in a rainbow. Because he believes his pot of gold is at the end of the rainbow, and the only way he knows to make it is to run moonshine. Okay, I mean we in nineteen fifty sixty. That's all they need to do where I'm from. Yeah. Except cotton. And um, so she dreams when she loses her parents of meeting Ray Charles because she believes that's her connection to her daddy and success. And she writes God a letter. She's big on writing God letters. I'm big on writing God letters. And um, she does. And God answers her letter. And I won't tell you all of it, you know, but 
she does, uh, her dream does come true. And, um, you know, that's how it all kind of evolved into what happened to me happens to her. And it's wow. just a miracle, you know? I mean, it wasn't planned. It wasn't thought out. And I would have never in my life believed it would have uh, happened like that, you know? Right. Never. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, here you are in your early mm-hmm. career reaching amazing heights, majoring uh-huh. in journalism, and then you became blind for three years. I know mm-hmm. this had to be a devastating experience. Do you mind sharing about that ordeal? Well, what happened to me, I really don't know why it wasn't genetic. It just happened. Um I had two back-to-back retina detachments at an early age, within six months of each other. And the first one was uh, the right eye. And um, the doctor said, oh, it never happened again. It will not happen to the other eye. The week before Christmas, like this week, it happened to the other eye. So fortunately, uh, we were living in Massachusetts. And the the doctor that invented the tool to attach the retina was my doctor. And so I, I was fortunate because if I'd have been somewhere else, I'd just be blind with a dog with a remote control, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. However, I was blessed to have been within my, one mile of him. So I had to go to him a lot. I had 11 surgeries before it detached. And um, then both of them eventually detached. They kept, they kept hanging on, I suppose you would say. And uh, I had to hold my down. They put a gas bubble in my eye, each eye, and I had to hold my head down for 280 days one time. And the other time was, I don't know, I'm going to say six and a half months for that one and not move and just sit in a chair. And I'd walk before at night and listen to movies, hoping they would reattach. And uh, they didn't. The, the right eye I see from... 12 to 1, and the left eye has half an eye. And and that's better than most. I mean, they're yeah. called windows of light. And you can look at me, and you, you can't tell I can't see sometimes, you know, right. And unless I put on the, the glasses. And um, my husband always said, you look good in them glasses and big glasses, but he said you look good in them, though. So that's- I took that as a compliment, but... Um, it was it was not easy. You know, it was very hard. I ate with my hands and you know, the poor guy took care of me. He was wonderful and you know, don't have really that much family. I have a sister but she has her own family and stuff and I love my sister and she loves me. She's a little bit older than I am, you know. And um uh, my mom and them wasn't able to help me, you know, and stuff. So my husband did a good job and um then I had to learn how to, my brain had to learn how to focus one dot at a time and reconnect things to the eye and the retina. So yes. I wrote this novel one pick at the time on the computer. I, ha- I had to rewrite it. And um, so that's how I learned how to correlate one type, of, one letter at a time, dot, 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 you know, typing one letter. It took me two years to type the thing. And um, that's a long time if you think about it when you hold the book yeah, in your hands. You know. It is. <laughs> it's a long time. But I was just always happy. I never got discouraged. And I made up my mind straight on. I'm going to trust God 
and I'm not going to cry. And I said, God, whatever you have for me, I'm going to do it. And I learned real quick, I'm going to answer my calling and get on with it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to write. Amen, Dad. You are an a inspiration to many. And that is really what it takes. We, we have to continue to move forward and, um, we have to encourage ourselves to move forward. And especially when we deal with challenges and obstacles, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. you are a great woman, I must say. Oh, no, I don't think so. I just think I'm forgiven. You know, I just think I'm forgiven. I think I, I would like to my dream now. You want? Do you want to know my dream? Yes. Tell me about your dream. Uh, okay. My dream is to have Good Life Mississippi and its characters and everything that follows turned into either a series or a movie. And, and because of the fact that it can reach more people and help the world and find peace and help people to be encouraged and inspire and not ever give up, you know, and to laugh and to cry and know that that that. God does answer prayer and God does answer letters and everybody has something in their life, you know, and I probably not very many people know all of that about me, especially where I grew up. They didn't know I couldn't see, you know, people just did, had no idea and um, they still don't. They will now. <laughs> <You know? That's> right. <laughs> <laughs> they will now. And, um, you know, my husband, um, has been great. He helps me, you know, and so on and so forth. But I'm very independent. I, I don't give up. You know, I just don't. But, you know, every day is, is a new journey. And it's not easy. I won't say it's easy. Is it easy breezy? No. Do I get discouraged? Yes. A lot? A whole lot. <laughs> and, and am I ambitious? Very. <laughs> Will I ever give up? Never. No. And because I feel like people should see this and and know, you know, that, that it can help them. I want to help them in some way or the other. And, you know, I think this is just all I have to give. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I totally understand. Yeah. I totally understand. Well, with that being said, we're going to take a break and we will be right back. All right. Well, I'm going to go to the ladies' room, and I'll be right back. Okay. Where are you guys at? State. State. Okay. Am I talking too much? No, I mean in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like my characters. I top my head off because they're like ninety percent dialogue and they never shut up. And I even, I never, I even talk in my sleep. Da, 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 complete sentences. Da, 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 da. I never stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why it would make a good screenplay because it's all dialogue. I wrote a screenplay already, but it just has never been touched or seen or anything. 
I have a lot, had a lot of time, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you look at other people and you think, well, well, also, you know, you got to do some with your life. And if you feel like that's what you're supposed to do, you got to try it. Because if you don't try it, you, you just, you know, you won't be happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys also like people can listen to this somewhere else if they want to, because I have like a hundred people that would go listen to this. Okay, because they can Google it and find it. Mm-hmm. Perfect. They'll be happy to do that. I have a lot of people that can't get out, you know, of the house. And even if they can, got COVID and everything else, but they listen to it. They would. Yeah. Yes. I am back. Thank you so much. I am ready. Welcome back to BBS Radio, All Road 65 Max Radio. I am your host, Pamela L. Henderson, and I am talking with my special guest today, Arthur Eileen St. Laurent. You still with me? Yes, I'm here, Pamela, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get to the good, good part. I know we've been discussing a lot about different things and everything, but you wrote a book. That book is Good Life, Mississippi. But let mm-hmm. me ask you, Eileen, how did you come up with the title? Well, I had read William Faulkner in college, and I had read Sherwood Anderson, who helped Faulkner, and he had read, a, um, excuse me, he had written a book called Winesburg, Ohio, which is about a town called Winesburg. And in Nebraska, when you pass the Nebraska sign, it says, Welcome to Nebraska, Good Life, something like that. And I've heard a lot of people always say in the South, I want a good life. And I had had three other titles for this book. And for some reason, I just kept going back to Good Life, Mississippi, because it was a city of 100 people, and the the surrounding city is called Soso, which is a real city in Mississippi. Then other cities that I have there, Goshen, are real cities. But Good Life is my fictional city, because there's no such thing as a good life, but their life is what you make it and it can be good. Yeah. So I agree. I that's how that. I did it. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> that's my truth. Very good. Eileen, you said that the book Good Life Mississippi is an inspirational book of faith. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that, you know, People suffer in their life, you know, like what you were talking about with guilt, loss, and even through segregation, you know, some people get divorced, some people lose the one they love, 
Some people get, you know, hit by a car. Some people get disease and all kinds of things because we're human, right? And we just have to reach out through our faith. And there is a higher power. And I believe that it's through God and through faith that that's how you reach out and you, you make things better. I do agree. You also said that your aim is to provoke readers to contemplate an understanding and tolerance that people whose life experiences and perceptions appear outside the norm are very real. Real. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Um, well, in, in Mississippi and North Carolina and everywhere, there's always people that, um, that doesn't seem normal, you know. They may be a little grotesque. They may have things wrong with them. And they're outside the norm, okay, Con- whatever normal is in 2022 going on 23. And their experiences in life have been some people suffer all their lives, right? You know, they suffer. And they they appear like they're outside the norm, but that's very real to them. So to tolerate these people, you have to learn unconditional love, okay? And unconditional love comes with, I believe personally, knowing God, okay? Um, I don't think, and me personally, if I didn't feel like I knew God, uh, and believed in God, I wouldn't be able to tolerate and have unconditional love for people. Right. That's 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 my personal opinion. You know. You know, it's funny. It's not funny, haha, but it's peculiar funny. That years ago, you know, I was the only one in school that wanted to do the devotional growing up. Okay, because <laughs> nobody would ever raise their hand to do that but me, and it's because I just knew that's what I knew. I knew church and devotion i didn't know the other stuff about life and people were not afraid back then to talk about stuff like this but even now i hesitate you notice that i hesitate yeah Yeah. i talk about the god and stuff because people get upset and so on and so forth and like i've said to people before you don't have to pray to god pray to a tree pray to whatever you want to pray to but but pray find your inner strength and power and turn somewhere and i'll tell them they'll say eileen i don't pray in atheist but they're still my friend i said this one time just pray for me okay i'm trying to get a novel published i'm trying to write this is the most difficult thing in the world and they'll say okay i'll pray for you you know (laughs) they actually do do that for me and i really really appreciate it and i love them dearly for it and they'll buy my book i don't know if they read my book but they do buy it. And, and I've had people contact me and say, I'm the one that prays to trees. I go to Central Park, Eileen, and I, I love nature. And I, I, I get that connection by praying with something. I said, see, I knew, I knew people pray, pray to trees, you know. But, you know, I don't know. It's, my point was, I'm getting off on a tangent, is that you have to have, I believe, positive thinking works through faith. And my faith comes with believing in God. And you're absolutely correct. And, you know, getting back to what you were saying about when we discuss God nowadays and some people just 
don't want to hear it. But I tell you, if you come on my show, I am one of God's jewels and I'm going to speak about it. Um, that is, that, that is, that's who I love. That's my everything. Even the Mm -hmm. times in, when I had gone through challenges and obstacles and I felt a little alone because of, it was like no one would have understood my story. And it was really, really heartfelt. And it had really taken me some time to, overcome that pain that I was in. But here I am, still a very passionate woman, and I have a beautiful soul. And sometimes people can abuse that and really don't understand that I can also be the worst person you may want to tip off on the side there to the left. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you wear your heart on your sleeve? I do. Yeah, I do. I do too. I do. I do. I do. Absolutely. That I do. Because we we're kind, considerate, and loving people, and that's what God calls us to be. Yeah, that is so true. And I love. Even though we're getting beat up, we're doing the right thing. Right, you know. I tell you, I had to really, which if it wasn't for my husband, whom has little tough, he has tough skin, and he taught me that I had to have tough skin not to take everything to to heart because I wear my heart on my sleeve. So Mm -hmm. that. That has helped me a lot, I must say. So, yes, you are absolutely right. So tell me, Eileen, now you have been discussing in the book about Myra. But are you Mm -hmm. Myra? You Myra? Not necessarily, but it could be. Okay. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. I don't want to exactly, you know, say that, but I think we're all minor. Okay, that's a good way to look at it. I can go with that. (laughs) 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 A friend of mine wrote me that I grew up with around the corner. Um, um, His name is Joe. And Joe wrote me and said, now you can tell all these people that mistreated you in school that you got a book. And I said, you know, he remembered that. I wondered if people remembered that, you know. But, you know, as a child, she was really, you know, mistreated because of, you know, her questionably being biracial and stuff. And I think all of us, maybe some of us just miss that. You know, maybe there are people that don't get that. But one way or other, people can identify with, with being different, being mistreated and not sure of yourself, you know. But I don't want to come out and you know, say that for sure. But I, I'm going to say we're all Myra to a sense, you know, to a sense. And she's not a victim. She doesn't get victimized. She never gives up. She overcomes. And, and I don't know why she doesn't give up other than her faith, you know. And she's um, victorious. That childlike faith that God talks about in the Bible. 
Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I looked at her as being victorious myself. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. discussing about the book with you and you are a victorious woman yourself, I must say. Oh, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you saying that. And you're yeah, so- I really do. <laughs> so well, the you're book- my angel. You're my earth angel, Pamela Henderson. Yes. Uh, I, I yes, appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that compliment. So the book, Good Like Mississippi, you say plunges readers into the 50s and 60s and the deep mm-hmm. south. Tell me about that. Why do you say that? Well, you know, that's what, there's some stuff going on back then, you know. You had Dr. Yes. King and... Uh, he actually comes to good life. I had taken that out because I didn't know if I was good enough to have, have written about Dr. King, but now I wish I hadn't. But I could always put it back in the second yeah. book if I wanted to, or even the third one. But in the 50s and 60s, you know, everybody was growing up segregated and everybody was poor. And, you know, I'd heard stories and a lot of it too I experienced myself. And, um, you know, I come from a place where it has two red lights. Now it has three because of Walmart. And my grandma uh, had nine children. Okay. She was part Cherokee Indian. And she had them all. Well, yeah, she had them all in a row, Eileen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, they all passed in a row. When they all passed except for one, uh, like eight of them passed in the row they were born. You know, it's kind of odd. Isn't that interesting? But she swept the dirt. And uh, to have something to do, you know, made straw burn. And um, we didn't have a lot to do. Go to the creek, pick something, get some peanuts, go to the store once a week. So I wrote about what I remember doing with all those people, you know, and listening to their stories and stuff. And it wasn't easy. Did we know it wasn't easy? Not unless somebody told us. Or we saw somebody else that lived in a brick house. You know, my thing was I always dreamed of having a brick house. Mama, can we get a brick house? Can we get a brick house? No. <laughs> that oh, <it's> <laughs> never got either one of them. But um, it was you knew when you grew up in the fifties and sixties, you knew you were didn't have anything like uh, some people did. You know, you knew the doctors and lawyers and and the people that owned the diamond shops did. But you knew that you didn't, and you especially it was so segregated, and they called it um, the quarters, but they used the N word in front of it. And we yeah. used to drive that way on our way to church. And Mama would say, "Look at all these poor people, Eileen." And we would, I would look at them, and we'd go visit them on Saturdays. And so, well, it was most of Saturdays, and uh, just go visit them, take them something, be good to them, just right. just go. I mean, I don't think we didn't ask them to church, but we went to visit them and we took them something because they just, you just couldn't have asked them to church. It just wasn't going to happen. I've seen them come in the church I grew up in and then that they would, some elder would go to the back and ask them to leave and tell them they didn't belong there. You know, that's so, yeah, that is so heartfelt because here we are, a culture of greatness. And I mean, we have, created and designed 
you know, we made, we, we helped make this world. You know what I mean? And yeah. All the creators of the light bulb, potato chips, I can go on and on. And I'm like, I guess it's just, it's just really, really heartfelt. So we're going to move on. We're going to move on. Okay. Okay. You now divide your writing time between Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Madison, Mississippi. How is that working out? It's uh, um, it's it's a little tough trip, but we do it. Uh, we built the house over there to launch the novel, and I had some family there, but unfortunately, they're sick and um in their latter latter of years, so there's no one left but me. Really? I have one sister left and some great nieces and nephews and everybody else is gone. And, um, so, um, I love Mississippi. I, I like Chapel Hill a lot. Um, I don't know. I'm one of these people, you know what? I could be anywhere and be happy as long as I had a pencil, piece of paper and a Bible and I could sit down and write for the rest of my life. And so that, over there, when I go over there, I don't want to leave because I'm good. I'm happy. When I come here, I don't want to leave because I'm good <laughs> and I'm happy. So we made that house a mirror of this house in a small way. That way I memorize everything because of my eyes. And everything in that house is the same place it is in this house, if you can imagine that. Yeah. And that way I won't lose it. You know what I mean? If something's been moved, I'll say, where's the broom? You know, it was here. This is where it goes. And um, so that, that helps me. And, and I like it. I love Mississippi. I love her people. There's some good people there. There's some good people here. Do I have I found my home yet? No, quite frankly. Um, sometimes I think it's Chapel Hill. Sometimes I think it's Mississippi, North Carolina or Mississippi. Then sometimes I think I want to go abroad. Then I say, I don't even speak a language. What am I going to do? You know? <laughs> take the book. Take a book. <laughs> take a book. Take a book. Yeah, take and a book or use an app on the phone and say something in their language and then just let them listen to it. You'll be just fine. Yes, yes, that's exactly what. And I'm so surprised because my book is in other countries now. I don't know if you know that, but it's in like uh, Portugal, Australia, Italy, France. And the weekend, I found like it's in Switzerland, Denmark, and Finland, I believe it is. And okay. I'm like, who knew? <laughs> I'm like, it's in those languages. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now, Lord. You can help me, but I don't know if you can. <laughs> mm-hmm. What opportunities are you seeing that have been rewarding, such as what you just stated? Any other opportunities, in your opinion? Well, I've had some celebrities contact me with regard to wanting the book to consider for a movie or a series. However, that's just hope, you know, and that could be years down the road, right? You know, you can't right. take that and put it, you know, in the bank or anything. But it is good, you know, it's, it's a good thing. I used to get real excited, but now I think, hmm, we'll see. And... You know, when I first began writing, a friend of mine who has passed now, <laughs> my best friend, she got COVID in Mississippi. Oh, she said, Eileen, it took, yeah, 
it took the Israelites, I think she said the Israelites, 40 years to get out of the wilderness, right? Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Okay. She said, it could be 40 years before you get a book published. (laughs) She said, (laughs) I said, are you out your mind? (laughs) I said, you can't go 40 years, but you know it took 24. Wow. Yeah. But of course, I could never finish. That was my problem. I could never finish with anything. So I just took it and broke it in two and made two books. That's what ended up happening. And, um, but the, what I have seen is that's why I'm hopeful for the other. And I decided that's what I'm going to, you know, hope for. And I want people to, a lot of people that read this book say they cry. And I was very surprised. That really surprised me. My mentors used to tell me it's hilariously sad. That I believe. I do believe that because it does make me cry and it does make me laugh. So there you go. Um, it is hilariously sad. So what I've seen open, people tell me that it's their story. Can you believe that? They'll say, it's my story, Eileen. You're talking my story. You knew my story. Yeah. Wow. And I'm shocked. And they said, one girl told me, she said, I had to stop reading when you got to Philadelphia and what happened in Philadelphia happened to my family and my grandmother and I did that and so on and so forth, right? And I said, are you black? She said, no. I said, well, how did that happen to you? You know, that's what I said. How did that happen to you? And she said, well, we were the ones that did it to them. But can you believe that? So it, it broke her conscience. It hurt her conscience. And she said, it made me cry. And I remember my grandma said, do this to them, to the black children and so on and so forth. And I said, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe. And I had a lot of people write me at 2 in the morning and say, I can't read this because you're telling my story. And I'm just very surprised about that. And, yeah. But that's a good thing, I guess, you think? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one way or the other. And right. and Myra, I don't know if you got to the part where she gets really, really damaged, and um, not her eyes, but other parts of her gets very, very damaged, and um, she still keeps going, you know, and yeah. uh, everything. And and that does happen to a lot of us in life. Some people miss that; they don't have anything happen to them at all. And I guess you know, God bless them. I'm happy for them, but I wasn't one of those people. <laughs> and, um, um, I have so, seen that opportunity happen, so that's my best answer. And getting into Barnes and Noble was unbelievable that they let me go to oh, Barnes yeah. and Noble. Yeah, that's good. I mean, such as myself, I am mm-hmm. also a woman who wears a few hats. Mm-hmm. Who do you look up to for inspiration? And do you have a mentor? You know, I did have three mentors, and they passed. <laughs> Unfortunately, 92, 89, and I forget the age of the other one. And Ann Tyler used to be a good friend of mine. We're not enemies or anything. The author, Ann Tyler, that wrote Breathing Lessons, Ladder of Years, and so on and so forth. And um, she she and I used to write each other. We don't anymore. Um she read my first word. She said I was pure and original, a natural born writer. And um, I wish I did. I, the only person I can say is the Holy Spirit. Mm. And 
I know that's a little vague, but um, that's my answer. And I listen to music all the time. I listen to music when I write, and that helps me a lot. You know, all kind of different music. I don't have any special music, you know, that I listen to, but I listen to a, a lot of music that when I write. And I, I get inspired because I read the Bible and I have a little devotional before I write, and I pray certain scriptures, you know? Yeah. I have like three or four scriptures, and I put my name there and substitute, okay. you know? And you want to hear a couple of them? I got them right here. It's real yeah. short. Yes. Okay. I would love to. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. And commit means roll. So roll thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Now, I'll read that before I write, and I'll say, Lord, I'm going to roll this and commit what I'm writing today to you. Okay. And that's one thing I do. Then the other one I always do is, well, First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged or discerned of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may shall instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I pray for the mind of Christ and the heart of God. And that I can lead God, direct, and protect my characters. And that they will be an inspiration and a blessing to the world. And that my suffering and heartbreak and being by myself in isolation in a lot of my life will help others. And since my mentors passed, uh, I depend totally on, on God, quite frankly. God bless you. God yes. bless you. That's all we need. That is all we need. Well, we're up to the hour. Is there okay. anything else you would like to share about what's next before we go and yeah. how she can contact you and purchase your book? Yes, ma'am. Um, thank you so much for having me. And Good Life Mississippi is available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and all your independent bookstores. And you can, my second book, I'm not going to release it yet. It's called My Neighbors. It was, it's the second half of Good Life, Mississippi. And it has, um, all the characters are African American except for two. And Myra Boone, Margie Ann Roberts, and Johnny Paul Russell all go to visit Myra's neighbors who are parts or slaves and had a difficult time 100 years ago, and they tell their stories. It's brutally honest. That's what I would say about that book. And um, it's mostly dialogue, and um, they tell their stories. And I feel like that these people come to me and want their stories told, and they're, you know, the downtrodden, the lowly, and the unwantables, you know. But you know what? They have a heart for God. I have a heart for God. And I wanted to tell their stories in an honest, pure way. And that's why I pray what I pray. Of course, I know I don't have God's mind. I'm not, I know that. However, I believe that I have the spirit in me that can lead God, direct, and protect me as I hopefully make a difference in this world and through others that they can find the peace that they need and their calling. Because if I had this book when I was young, uh, I don't believe my life. I would have made different choices, you know. 
And if I could put it into the hands of anybody, anywhere, any place, any age, this would be the book I'd put in their hands. And sit down, be patient with it. And if you need Kleenexes, just get the Kleenexes. And, if, you know, don't hold it against me. And, um, you know, and I love you and I love the world and I love everybody the same. I have a a lot to give. So do my characters. And, you know, I'm not judgmental. I try to love unconditionally and I hope to make a difference in the world. And I know that sounds a little cliche, but I mean it. Yeah. And that's all that matters. Eileen, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. And I do look forward to chatting further in the future. And I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a prosperous 2023 and good luck on your endeavors. Well, listeners, I have reached my destination. I am a award winning author of the new book, A Journey of a Sapphire, and I hope to inspire others who are on their journey towards success to never give up on your dreams and how to recognize behavioral problems. You can purchase my book by visiting journeyofasapphire.com. My book is also available on amazon.com and Kindle Fire. And as always, I leave you with this quote and do have a blessed day. Affluence separates people. Poverty knits them together. You got some sugar? I don't. I borrow some of yours. Next month, you might you might not have any flour. Well, I'll give you some of mine, Ray Charles. Cheers, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to All Road 65 Max Radio with Pamela Henderson. Join us every other week on Tuesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on BBS Radio Station One. And please visit allroads65max.org and become a volunteer or sponsor and be the change you want to see in this world. With your help, we can make a difference in our society and uplift those who so desperately need our help. Thank you for tuning in. 